Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, that's where we'll begin, and then if you hold your finger there, you're, we're going to go to our second scripture, which is John 15. Matthew chapter 6 and John 15. Some of you may know we've, we're in a second week of our series called a Wisdom from the Womenooch. What is the Womenooch, you might ask? It is a wilderness area in southern the Southern San Juan Mountains of Colorado, and uh, I went there with a whole bunch of team members here from one chapel, and we spent uh, we spent about eight days in the wilderness, forty five miles roughly that we walked with forty five pounds on our backs, um, off the trail, going for it, making our way, navigating. It was an incredible experience. Here, I have some pictures that uh, I can show you, um, like this is, this is kind of a mountain range and it looks like just a nice mountain range until you look really closely. And then here, I think that's Spiro and this is Marty and there's me. And I think that's uh, Aspen, I think, uh, Aspen Hancock. And uh, the, reason, the reason we went on this trip was we were, we were experimenting with uh, Britt Hancock and Mountain Gateway and, and their whole ministry training missionaries in the wilderness. So keep just keep rolling through them, Edwin, and I'll just talk about them briefly. Just keep going. A couple seconds on each. Well, that was fast, okay? So, yeah, so here we are uh, making our way up the trail. I think I was route finding that day. Um, keep going. And there I am up at the top. This is about 11,000 feet above sea level, maybe 11.5, somewhere in there. Uh, And we got up on the top of the mountains, and here we are taking pictures, and we're kind of, we really were kind of going over the tops of the mountains on this particular day and descending down to Turkey Lake. Keep going. And uh, there is uh, Spiro and I at, uh, we were cooking dinner right there. Rice, you can see I'm cooking the rice right there. It took forever. Ever. <clears throat> keep going. Keep going. There, here, here we are. This is Turkey Lake. You can see right here in the background all these, all these folks, but there in the background is the lake. That was such a beautiful place. I could have stayed there forever. And then uh, here's, <laughs> here's Garrett. Uh, Garrett is teaching me how to make fire. I was totally unsuccessful. <laughs> Making fire from sticks. Um, <clears throat> So keep going. That wasn't as a difficult picture. Here we are, uh, standing, getting ready to go on our own uh, individual hikes. We kind of did a whole day alone uh, one day. Keep going, keep going, just keep going. Here we are in the Aspens. This is uh, getting up, uh, trying to go to, uh, I think, a Saddle Mountain that day. And uh, we, got, <laughs> we, we got stopped from getting to the ridge by a huge storm, and uh, keep, just keep going, Edwin, just keep moving, just about, give it about five seconds, and then keep going, there, there we are, in the, the storm, and the lightning is going right over us, so we didn't make it to the ridge, there we are, oh, look at those mountain men, they all have beards except me, <clears throat> I couldn't grow one in 10 days, that was unfortunate, but, I'm, but I am standing by the bearded wonder, Marty Irwin, right here, <laughs> keep going, is there any more? Is that it? Okay. This was an incredible trip. It was an amazing experience. I unplugged from everything. I very rarely go very many days without talking to my wife, but I went, like, I, I ended up talking to her four days in because we had to deal with a, a, a deal at our house, but on our house, but I essentially went eight days without really talking to her in any significant way, and that, it was just weird. I didn't like it. It was terrible. 
but I am plugged from everything. And it is amazing how the wilderness sort of peels back the layers of our own soul. Last week, I talked about the illusion of control and how the wilderness taught me that I wasn't in control and what that teaches me about God and what that teaches me about uh, living for Him. And this week, I'm going to teach you uh, a little bit about a, the cost of clarity. The cost of clarity. And if you have your little message notes, I want you to follow along with me. The cost of clarity is really about the busyness of our lives and how we are kind of running from here to there, doing so many things in our society and, and what goes on. I, about six days in, I had one of the most amazing experiences with God that I've ever had in my life. Maybe top five in my life happened on the mountain on day six. It took me six days to sort of unwind. On day four, we had a layover which means we just stayed in camp. We didn't keep going to a different location. We just stayed over, and we, and we, we went on personal hikes. And then um, there was a, an experience that happened there where I, was, um, I felt like I needed to get things done. We weren't hiking. We weren't pushing. We, I wasn't suffering in my body, all the pain of carrying the backpack and all this. So I... I so my mind kind of uncluttered for a moment, and it just felt like I couldn't get away from the sense that I needed to get things done. I'm addicted to um, getting things done. Are you? I don't know. I think most of us are addicted to getting things done. But I realized that I was unwinding. I realized that um, there's nothing quite so powerful as the white puffy clouds against a radiant blue sky and green everywhere and walking beside a bubbling stream and uh, and just and and I had a moment with God on day 6 where I just I just felt like God was speaking to me and it was an incredible thing one day we spent um, an entire afternoon everybody was trying to figure out how to make fire and most of us were unsuccessful but, you know, fire needs oxygen to work, right? And, and, and we were working with our little, you know, um, our knives and our, our flint and, and our, you know, little things that we had gathered to, uh, what's it called when you put together little pieces? It's like kindling. That's what I was looking for. I couldn't think of it. Obviously, I'm no good at making fire. So I was, I was getting, they were getting all our kindling together. We're trying to make it all happen. And if you don't have everything separated, separated just right, if there's not enough, listen to me, space, then, then the oxygen doesn't fuel the fire. We don't think about oxygen very much. We don't think about breathing in and out very often. I thought about it a lot as I was climbing on day two for 10 hours. And, and when I'm in Austin, I can, I can breathe. You know, I'm, when I'm run, I can take big, deep breaths, and it feels like I get a lot of oxygen. I was at 11,000 feet, and I was like breathing, and I couldn't get enough oxygen. I was thinking about it, and I was intentionally doing it. But for most of us, breathing is just sort of a, a thing that we do automatically. And I want you to think today about how prayer is like oxygen 
for our spiritual lives, for our lives with God. As oxygen is to breathing, so prayer is to life with God. You know, we're starting 21 days of prayer here, and we're doing this. We're going we're gonna to have prayer here at 6 a.m. every morning, and we're going we're gonna to have a Friday night worship and prayer event. But we're doing this on purpose because as we ramp up the schedule into school starting and all the things that, we're, that's going, that are going on, we want what we want to do and what I think we need to do is prioritize God in our schedule. Prioritize Him in our relationship with Him. But I think, I think what we're talking about when we talk about prayer is different than just saying some words and creating a ritual. So, so often prayer is degraded to a ritual or some kind of um, information that we're trying to share with God. But that's, that's not what prayer is. In fact, Brother Lawrence, I, he describes the presence of God this way and, and, and a, a conversation with God. He described it as an habitual, secret, and silent conversation with God. An ongoing, habitual, secret, and silent conversation with God. Now, here's what most of you have going on inside your minds all the time. Bad self-talk. That's what most of us spend time over and over again just thinking about Him. What I want to challenge you to, to try is having an habitual, secret, and silent conversation with God no matter what you're doing. No matter if you're working, no matter if you're, if you're at school, or no matter if you're with the family. There's, there's, this, there's this program running in the background, and it's engagement with God. Have you ever prayed and felt like you're praying and, and the, the, your prayers didn't reach past the ceiling? You're praying and the, the skies were made of bronze. Have you ever felt that way? I've, I have. I've felt that way a lot. But I tend to believe that the diligence of consistent prayer, the discipline of consistent prayer yields moments where the skies open up more often than crisis prayers, than inconsistent crisis-driven prayers that we throw up when we're in trouble. We become very interested in prayer when we're in trouble. What I want to sub submit to you is that your spiritual life needs prayer to breathe. That your spiritual life needs the oxygen of prayer to be healthy, to grow. It's an essential part of our lives. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. Matthew 6 verse 5. This is Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And he's teaching on prayer. Look what he says here. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. What a pitiful thing to pray to be seen by others. What a wrong-headed world the Pharisees started living in to treat prayer as if it was something just for people to observe. Jesus continues, he says, Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret. Did you catch that? He's unseen, but he sees who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay, one of the most confusing little verses in the Bible for me. God knows what I need even before I ask Him. Okay, then why do I need to ask Him? (laughs) Could it be, now just go with me, could it be that prayer revolves more around love than around information? That's your fill-in-the-blank right there. Could it be that prayer revolves around love more than it does around the information that you're talking about? Could it be that prayer is not simply words, that it's something more, it's something beyond? Prayer is not just being with God and spending time with Him, even though that's good. Prayer might be more than that. God doesn't necessarily want you to spend time with Him like you spend with your spouse or you spend with your friend. Because that's limited by time and space. He doesn't, want you to, he doesn't want you to just, He doesn't want you to only carve out a little space for Him. He actually, prayer is something that actually creates a connectedness, an intimacy. It, there's a mysterious quality to it. So if you're not dealing with just information and you're not just dealing with words, what are you dealing with? Motives, heart issues, worries, struggle. What are you you dealing with? You're dealing with the real you. Prayer is meant to reflect what's really going on inside. Not some kind of piety, not some kind of religious ritual, but something more mysterious. Prayer is more mysterious than we like to think it is. Hey, hey, I got news for you. There's nothing you can talk to God about that he doesn't already know about. You're not informing of of anything. So there's another reason why we begin to talk or share with him when we pray. Hey, prayer is talking to God, no doubt, but it's more than talking to God. It's not only talking to God. Are you tracking with me? John 15, turn over there. John 15, here's what I think I think this gives us some insight. Here's Jesus again, and he's speaking, and he's saying, I am the vine, in verse 1, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This is an exciting thought. (laughs) Jesus is the vine, his Father is the gardener, and he cuts off branches that don't bear fruit. But if you bear fruit, guess what your reward is? (laughs) Pruning. Why? So that fruit will be the focus. So that, so that fruitfulness will happen in your life. He's talking about fruitfulness as the end goal, that this is what God's really interested in. Verse 3 says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, you are clean. I've cleaned you up. I'm, I'm, I've, I've prepared you. And now he says, verse 4, remain in me so as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do 
nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. It, it just, that simply means there's no deep theological meaning there. It means it's not very useful. If you remain in me, though, he says in verse 7, and my words remain in you, ask what, check this out, ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Prayer is remaining in him. It's getting his words in, in you and, and it's, getting, it's giving your words back to him. Think about this for a second. Think about this for a second. Maybe the goal of prayer is unity with God, union with God. What if the goal of, of, of remaining in Him is what prayer is really all about? It's abiding in Him. It's letting His words get into you. It's, it's remaining in Him is done really through the activity of prayer. Prayer is the process of becoming one with God, like a branch is connected to the vine. So what's in the vine is running through the branches. So that what's inside the vine is actually coursing through the branches. Prayer is agreeing with God and saying yes to Him and what He's already doing and inviting Him to do even more. I want to be fruitful. I want to... I want to remain in you. Now, when you, when, you, when you get to that last part of that verse in that section, the question is, okay, so I can ask anything and he'll do it. Well, here's, here's, here's the secret. The secret is if God is coursing through you, if Jesus is coursing through your veins, if you are breathing him in and breathing him out in a life of prayer and activity with him, you're going to ask for the right things. And even when you don't know what the right thing is, you're going to ask. And then God's going to show you how he wants to produce fruit in your life. This, I want you to think more deeply about prayer. If you go over to John 12, it's just two pages over, just to the left. John 12, verse 1. I want you to check out this experience that Jesus had. John 12, verse 1 says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethlehem, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. The, some other passages in the other Gospels indicate it was maybe Simon's house. But this says, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. I love this scene. Here's a guy who was dead, and now he's hanging out at dinner with all these people with Jesus. All right, so then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with a fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. This keeper of a money of the money bag, he, he used him to he used to help himself to what was put in it. 
Leave her alone, Jesus defends her. Jesus says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Man, there's a lot of stuff happening here. I think this describes the essence of true prayer, a mysterious activity that engages the full spectrum of emotions and intellect of, of, of your physical body, of your soul. If you think about this in, in John, where it was written, in, just before this scene, there's a meeting of the Sanhedrin, all right? This is a really powerful, religious, learned men. And Judas is then at the end of the story, and this, is, this story is right in the middle of it. John puts her story right as a pivot point for the the letter of John as they begin to prepare for Jesus' burial. I want you to think about this. The money was probably a dowry. It was something that she'd either saved or it was uh, a a nest egg for her future. Um, She risks her entire future on a moment, on five minutes, on something that took about five minutes. She acted in a way that was awkward for everybody else. It, it, was, it was about one year's wage, and that's why Judas was so appalled. One year's wage. Hey, what is your one-year wage? Just think about that for a second. What's your one-year wage? Would you be willing to pour that out on Jesus? Would you be willing to surrender in such a profound way? Would you be willing to just somehow sit at his feet and let the perfume of what you had to give Jesus begin to fill the room? And She gave that for five minutes of worshiping at Jesus' feet and it offended everyone. It seemed like a waste of so many. Here's the problem. The ROI didn't make sense. Could I just encourage you Church, in an American culture, every transaction we make has a return on investment somewhere in the back of our heads. Here's the problem. She didn't really know what she was investing in. It wasn't clear to her how things were going to unfold with Jesus. She did not know all the pieces of the story that were about to come. She knew something was happening. She knew there was power. Lazarus is sitting right there. She knows something's up, but she doesn't know exactly what's coming. And so she, but she engages in this act of worship and honor and prayer and love and beauty. Here's the truth. We often don't know what the return on investment of prayer is. Can't calculate it. She couldn't calculate it. She did it silently. She didn't know exactly what it was. It wasn't about her skill. It wasn't about her expertise. It wasn't even about her obedience. It, it was about some, a, a connection with Christ. So here's the question I have for you. Are you willing to take what you have and offer it to Jesus? Are you willing to take what you have in your hand and whatever that is and whatever is going on in your life, are you willing to offer it to Jesus? Prayer is essentially taking what you have and offering it to Him. 
But prayer creates clarity. It highlights humility. It fuels our faith. It integrates our heart with God's heart. It surrenders our will and focuses our affections. It clarifies everything in life and provides the needed oxygen for spiritual growth. I'm out of time, so I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the, the fill in the blanks so you can go home happy. I want you to think about what prayer does for you. And I'm not talking about the kind of prayer that is, that is some kind of duty, although I think you will end up being dutiful. You will end up committing to it in a disciplined way. Over the next three weeks, here's what I want you to do. I want you to change your schedule. When was the last time you changed your schedule in such a profound way that it, that it caused some inconvenience, but it was an investment in something greater than your one year's wage? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you changed your schedule for the sake of God working in your life? When was the last time you entered into an experience with Him that was maybe beyond just the information you wanted to share with Him? I want to challenge you to do that over the next three weeks. I believe God has so much for you, you can't calculate it. But I want you to tap into it like Mary tapped into what was coming with Jesus. Mary tapped into the, 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 the entire uh, creation, the, from the very foundation of creation, this plan and this purpose had been in effect and Christ was about to go to the cross. It was the place where God's will and purposes intersect with all of time and history and she tapped into it and prepared his body for burial. I wonder if you and I could tap into the crossroads of what God is doing in Austin today. I wonder if you and I could tap into what he has planned for us in our lives. Here's your three points, ready? It gives you clarity in perspective. The clarity of prayer, it, it changes your perspective. It changes the way you see things. It changed, the cost of the perfume was nothing for her compared to the love of Jesus that she'd experienced. It didn't mean the same thing to her. Her perspective had totally changed. Any corrupted view she had of love or of beauty or purity was, was gone in relationship to Christ. You can see the scriptures there. Pray my, prayer may not change our problems, but it will change our perspective. It may not erase everything. I mean, Jesus still went to the cross. It was still agony for his disciples. They still went through a questioning season, but, but they were right in the middle of what God was doing. Mary had a perspective change. The second thing is priorities. It changes your priorities. When you pray, when you have a life that is being con conformed by God, a conversation that is ongoing every day with God... It changes your priorities. For Mary, nothing was more important to her, for her, than pouring herself out on Jesus at that moment. Hey, hey, prayer cuts through the distractions. It cuts through and clarifies what's essential. Is it any wonder that when life gets really busy, you start cutting out prayer? Why is that? Because we don't really believe that it creates clarity. We don't, we don't really believe. We, there's, a, there's a thing here that I want us to tap into, not in a, a legalistic way, but in a way that says God is interested in us in, 
in his life being poured into us and our life being poured into him. Number three is potential. Mary knew that her future was going to be different than her past. Here's the thing. Mary knew that her future was not tied to perfume, but tied to Jesus. Her future wasn't tied to what that was worth. Her future was tied to what was going to happen to Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, where this, a similar story is recorded, it says that what she has done will be talked about all over the world. And it's true. It has been. Hey, can I tell you one thing? No one knows your potential except God. Prayer unlocks your potential. No one, prayer unlocks the potential of what is actually possible. No one knows your potential. No one knows the potential of your kids. Hey, 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 hey. The reason we pray for our kids is because we're trying to unlock God's potential in them. Not, not our potential, not what we think needs to happen in their lives. We pray for them because God has a plan and a purpose for them, and we're trying to unlock that. That's what prayer does. You can get an idea, an understanding of what God is doing in your kids when you pray for them. No one knows that except God. I can't read the rest of the scriptures because we don't have time, but here's the last thing I want to say to you. Prayer takes us out of the realm of what we can do and into the realm of what God can do. Prayer takes us out of the realm of what we can do and in the realm of what God is doing. And if we're connected to him like a, a, a branch is connected to a vine, then what's going on in him is starting to go on in us, and we're, ta- we're tapping into everything that he's already doing. We're living in the realm of what he can do, not in the realm of what we can do. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. And I want you to think about whether or not you live in this kind of prayer life. Here, just leave those lights on. Don't, it's okay. Just leave them all on. It's all right. Just, just, I want you to just think about the life of prayer that you have now. And I want you to consider over the next 21 days engaging with God in a different way. I want you to consider taking something really valuable to you. One of the most valuable things in our culture is time. It's one of the most valuable things. If you waste people's time, that's it. They, they, don't, they don't give you a second chance. There's, there's something about time. I wonder if you consider offering your time to God in a different way over the next 21 days that you would center your affections and attention on him, that as your kids go off to school, that there would be a, a, a conversation, a prayer that you would pray over them. I wonder if you'd consider maybe coming back to God if you've been away for a while. Maybe you haven't talked to him in a really long time, but he's really interested in talking to you. And if you feel his, his stirring inside your heart and your kind of down in your gut. That's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to you. He's calling you. He's saying, son or daughter, I, I want to be with you. I, I want to I live in you. I want you to live in me. I want to I live through you. I want you to know what's possible. Come and spend time with me. If that's you, I just want you to respond to him right where you are right where you are.
God, we, we confess doing our own thing and getting too busy and just letting life take us, take over. Would you, would you change our perspective and help us reorient our priorities and help unlock the potential that's really inside of each one of us and in prayer? Lord, would you show us how over the next 21 days to make a habit out of being with you. And maybe that starts with a little time in the morning, but then it continues through the day. Like there's, there's a reminder that comes as, as different things go on, as we go to work, as, as we're at school, as we're studying. We're suddenly reminded of you. And then we acknowledge that you are with us and you're, with, you're in us and we're living in you and we're, you're living through us. Lord, change our paradigm of what prayer really is. It's not about information as much as it is about love and relationships. So, Lord, teach every one of us. We repent of leaving you out. and We want to include you in everything. We want to pray about everything. That's what Paul said. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer, pray with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known. Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to pray about everything. We talk to you about everything so that we can unlock what you're trying to do, so that we can tap into what you're already doing. Lord, we surrender to you. We ask you to reveal yourself to us in Jesus' name. Amen.